everybody. I'm Pastor Robin, and you're listening to the Sanctus Church Podcast. Our mission here at Sanctus is to glorify God by reaching and enabling people of all ages and nations to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let's prepare our hearts for what we're about to hear. Hey, Sanctus, good morning. So glad that you're joining us, and welcome to the fall. School is back. We're starting a new ministry year. And I want to welcome you. Some of you have been here for decades. Some of you have been with us for years. Some of you joined us over the summer. Some of you for the last year, no matter who you are, where you're coming from, your background, so glad that you're choosing to be part of us as we get going this coming year. A lot of you who have been with us for more than a little while know that uh, at near the beginning of COVID, my wife and I, my family, we moved like many, many, many other people did. We moved to a small little village uh, about 35 minutes from here, 40 minutes from the Ajax location that is. And my wife and I bought this big old Victorian house and we started this massive two and a half year renovation. And so we did all this work and then we actually built a garage for the first time since 1876. And then three months, I've shared this story, after of course we built the garage, our neighbor's 120 foot Douglas fir snapped in a windstorm, came down, flattened our brand new garage, which by the way, all of our Christmas gifts were in. And so that was like devastating. And then we tore the whole thing down, hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage. And then we rebuilt it again and lived through the COVID moment and did all this stuff at the house. It was painted for the first time like in 40 years, restoring rotting wood, all this stuff. And finally, we were coming sort of to the end of most of the renovations. And then someone walked up to our door, knocked and said, we love your house. We're like, thanks. They're like, no, 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 we want your house. And I was like, but we just did all this work. Anyway, they gave us an offer we could not refuse. And I'm not complaining. I'm very, very thankful. But when all of that happened, we felt sort of anxious and blessed. And then we were like, well, where in the world are we gonna go? Because we only needed a rental probably for five or six months and getting a rental in the first place anywhere in the GTA or beyond is almost impossible. Getting a rental for five or six months doesn't really exist. We, there's five of us plus two dogs and a cat. And I was like, Lord, we need a place. Well, amazingly, the real estate agent who brought the people to our door said, well, actually, no, another real estate agent who actually hasn't been able to sell their house. It's two minutes from here. Would you like it? We're like, yes. So we rented for five months and then we were like, we have no clue where we're going. And there wasn't a ton of houses. And so we were like just trusting the Lord genuinely. He had done this and we were really thankful. And so I remember I took this moment and I was praying. I said, Lord, where do you want us to go? House, life, city, all of it. And I'll never forget what happened next. The Holy Spirit very clearly said to me, John, you don't get to talk to me about the next house. Go to your wife. And I was like, okay, great. So I went to Joe and I said, hey, Joe, and I had this really uh, odd encounter with the Lord today. I'm not allowed to talk about the next house. I'm supposed to talk to you. I'm supposed to ask you what you want. And then I said, uh, I reminded her and myself that, you know, even having choice about anything is blessing. It's a very first world experience. So I said, babe, what do you want? And she laughed and she said, I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, I've always sort of wanted a pool and I like hills. And so I'd like a pool and a hill. And she walked away and I was like, Lord, hear her prayer. And, and that was it. Anyway, we were in the rental and it was winter and there was nothing and no houses were coming up. And then it popped into my mind when we first went to this little village, like three plus years ago, just looking around, I remember across the river, because in the middle of my little town, there's this gorgeous river that runs through it. 
On the other side of the river, there was this house my wife always loved because it had a wraparound porch and had four rocking chairs. So I said, well, why not? So I went over across the river, walked up to the door and just knocked at the door. The woman came to the door and, uh, and I said, hi, my name's John. We live in this street. Oh, I know that house. It's sort of like that there. I said, this is really weird. Someone bought our house and we're in a rental and my wife liked your rocking chairs and your porch. So I know it's a little weird, but I'm knocking. Are you interested in selling your house? And I haven't even seen it. And she laughed and she said, look at what I'm wearing. And I'm like, whoa, that's really weird. What do you mean? She's like, no, look at what I'm wearing. And I said, what do you mean? And she, she said, well, I'm wearing paint clothes. I said, why wearing painting clothes? She says, I'm painting the house to sell it. Do you want to come in? And I'm like, uh, sure. So we walked through this beautiful old house. It was from 1875 and it was in great shape. And then I walked to the back of the house and my jaw dropped. Because by the way, from the front of the house or the back of the house, you can't see this because of trees and everything else. See, the house was on a hill and at the bottom of the hill, there was a, anyone want to say it? Pool. And I was like, you got to be joking. And so within six weeks, we privately bought that house. And it was pretty amazing. In three years, uh, we packed and unpacked and packed again and unpacked six times. Uh, if there is an image uh, or uh, a series of words that explain our experience, I would say tired, uh, nervous, excited, exhausted, adjusting, thankful, and I would even say now finally getting settled. And I thought, you know what, that uh, personal journey that we've been through, I think literally mirrors what our church has been through. In 2019, some of you will remember me saying this, I sat with our staff and there was a lot going on and some difficulty. And I said, you know, the reason why we don't have our expectations right as staff is because we keep thinking that we're decorating the old house we used to be in. Like we're putting wallpaper up and putting backsplashes on. And I said, no, no, we're in the muck. We're actually building a new foundation. The house we were all used to is gone. We're building a new house. That is why this is so difficult. That was said before the, uh, the pandemic happened. And now we're in this new house. And this new house is where we're at. I said this to our staff just a few weeks ago, prepping for this ministry year. I said, you know, the time of COVID, as we knew it is over, the time of moving into this new house that we now call Sanctus is done. The time of grieving of what was is now over. This is a new place, a new house. It's time we move forward again. Last year was about really not just rebuilding, but building. And this year is now about momentum. So what I want to do is I want to take us all on a journey and some of you have heard this 20 times, some of you once, some of you never. But the reason why I do this every year is because we as one church in multiple locations have to have the same understanding. So I want to take us on this journey that makes us uniquely who we are as a local church and actually distinguishes us from churches down the street. We're not better than them, just a little different. We are originally called Steeple Hill Community Bible Church in Pickering at White's Road, and then we outgrew that, and then we moved into Ajax High School, and we were there for about three years, and then we moved into the Ajax location. This was miraculous how we were given this building, and we built this, and we were called Crothers Creek Community Church, and then no one wanted to say Crothers Creek Community Church anymore, so people just started calling us C4, and then that got branded, but then C4 became trouble because as we're helping global partners, it sounds more like weaponry than it does other things, and Anyways, we took some time to pray, and actually there's a cool story about how the Lord gave us the, the name Sanctus, and just pre-COVID, we were named Sanctus, and then we are now Sanctus post-COVID. 
But how did all that happen? Well, in 2005, I had just become senior pastor. It was September. I had just turned 30 years old, the old senior pastor that had grown the church from 50 to 1,000, which, by the way, in Canadian, uh, in that Canadian moment was pretty unbelievable. He was still in the front row. He didn't leave, I think, till November. We were one site, uh, one service, one location. We had a mission statement. We existed to make fully devoted followers of Jesus, but we had no vision statement, no understanding. We had no clue of what was next. I gave my first vision talk. I shared some of this in May of last year, uh, last ministry year. In that very overwhelming and intense moment, I asked uh, our church a series of questions that had not been asked before. I asked us as a church family, why had God given us the amount of people we already had? What was our future going to look like? Was God calling us to be something? If so, did we even know what that something was? So in that moment, for the first time, I started casting vision, and I began to paint part of the future we're now all living. In that first sermon as senior pastor, I introduced something that was not core to our understanding, which now today is fundamental to our church. It's common faithfulness and unique assignment. Forgive the repetition, but I have to do this. It's so important. Acts chapter 2 is the most famous and fundamental description of common faithfulness. Every single church on earth, no matter denomination, size, cultural expression, big, small, big, mega church, house church, liturgical, bells and smells, free-flowing choruses or hymns, they all have to have this. This is how the early church functioned. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of not just Christians, but all the people. And God added to their number daily those who were being saved. So you've got biblical teaching out of, right, out of the scriptures. You've got community. You've got communion. You've got prayer. You've got the presence of God. You've got giving. You've got loving the poor. You've got large worship gatherings. You've got small house gatherings. You've got baptism. You've got evangelism. Every church is called to do this. This is common faithfulness. The, the very worst, last words of Jesus also make up the other half of the coin. What was Jesus' last words before he ascended to heaven? Matthew 28, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've taught you, and I am surely always with you to the very end of the age. That is common faithfulness. And then this is what I say every year, but beyond common faithfulness, because almost all churches just settle for common faithfulness, sometimes out of holy listening, God gives vision. We, of course, believe here at Sanctus that Jesus speaks to congregations and movements uniquely. In the book of Revelation, he spoke differently to the church in Sardis, differently to the church in Philadelphia or Smyrna or Ephesus. The Bible is full of leaders being given God-issued assignments. The mission is the same. But specific callings are given much of the time to leaders. Moses, I called you to do this. Paul, do that. Philip, go there. We are fasting and praying, and the Spirit said. In those moments, and this is critical, if God speaks uniquely, God doesn't always speak 24-7. It's just not true. But if He does, that should become the inception point for a dynamic vision of a local church. This, of course, implies being open. 
actually believing in unique assignment as possibility, learning to listen through spiritual disciplines. This presumes empowering people with spiritual gifts and being able to test what is from God, what's human, what's agenda, what's demonic, and what's what you ate last night. So mission, Acts 2, Matthew 28, is common faithfulness. It never changes in any environment. Visions are God-given, and they're given for a season, then they're going to be replaced. It's like bread. Bread has a shelf life, and then it goes bad, or it's done. Now, strategies support mission and vision. They can change at any time. Now, does this mean God will always speak? No, He's not a genie. Much of the time, common faithfulness is the only ongoing call from heaven. But to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, you need to keep asking the Holy Spirit if there's a unique call. So in that very first sermon, here's what I actually shared to our church and moved us for the first time from mission to vision by addressing two things. I talked about geography and size. Again, some of you will remember this from last May. It is here that the word regional was used for the first time. Our name back then was Crothers Creek Community Church. So when people in 2005 heard Crothers Creek Community Church, they literally thought we were going to reach the community physically behind the Ajax location. By the way, that was my old neighborhood. But I used to laugh about that because I was basically, me and three others were the only ones that lived there. I said, regional does not mean, or community does not mean my community. Then I started listing all these names of people. We have people in Scarborough and Pickering and Ajax and Whitby and Oshawa and Salina and Port Perry and Uxbridge and Brooklyn and Brome. I said, God has strategically planted us, so we're actually regional. Let's just admit it. And then I shared this. I said, God is going to make us a church of thousands in this next chapter. And then I said, you know, churches have callings like people. We've been given certain gifts, leaders, and dreams. I said, but visions are different. Some are called to be small. Some are called to church plant. Some are called to build house church networks. But we're called to be a gathered church of thousands. That was the first inkling at Vision. Well, all sorts of people, I remember, that month were excited. Many, many more thought I was young, impetuous, ambitious, full of pride. I was trying to build a big church because I wanted to be like a mega church pastor. And this was all about me and my kingdom, and many left. Well, fast forward, we grew. And five years later, we became even more bold. It was 2010, and our mission statement had changed a little bit. It read like this, to glorify God. Oh, we made sure that God was now central by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Great. But in 2010, in that series, I also slowed down and said, hold on, hold on, hold on. We want to enable people to become fully devoted followers of, of Jesus. But here's the question. Who are the people? Well, I said, there are tons of people, of course, that have joined our church and are part of our church that are followers of Jesus. They've said yes to Jesus as Savior, Leader, and Lord. And so we need to grow and encourage them, of course, to walk with God, grow in our faith, contribute to the faith community, and impact the world for Christ. Yes. But then I said, but who are the people we're trying to reach who don't know Jesus yet? And this is what I said in 2010. Uh, We want our church to see different groups of people come all at once. We want irreligious people. Those people that have no faith, agnostic, atheist, humanists, those who only live in the now to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We want those who are spiritual and new age and vibey to encounter the true living God. We want others who are part of formal other religions to meet Jesus, the only Savior, the only true God, the only answer to this life and the life to come. And then I said this too, we're also called to reach a very large group around us called nominal Christians. 
These are the hundreds of thousands of people that are Christians in name only. They're, some are religious, some aren't that religious. Some are holly and lily Christians. They come at Christmas and Easter. Some are practicing, some are non-practicing. Many give intellectual assent sort of to basic Christian thought. They might attend a worship service. They might be a really active member in their local church. But in spite of all this, I said they're destined for eternal judgment because they've not actually committed their life personally to Jesus Christ. I think it's probably about being good or being moral, but not about faith in Jesus. And I said, our purpose is to see all these people come to faith. So that was like a defining moment. But in that 2010 series, though we had grown over the five years, and though our vision said we'd reached thousands, it was still blurry and unclear and caused disunity in our church. So in 2010, in that same sermon, we finally publicly spoke about what we had prayed over, talked about, and agreed upon before. In that very sermon, I had then started saying, if our mission is that, and the people are these people, then what's our actual vision statement? And I started saying this. You know, one person brilliantly said, a vision is a clear mental picture of a preferable future given by God. That's vision. And then these are the words I shared uh, all those years ago now. John, regional church, thousands fully devoted, doing kingdom things, but where's the glue? Can you fit our vision on a t-shirt? And I said, yes. Here's, here's where we're really going. To become a regional church of 10,000, meeting the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people in Jesus' name. Well, when I said that, like I shared in May, the oxygen left the room. A few people clapped. Some people gasped. Everyone was like, what? I said, let me walk this through. Again, regional church. We travel 30 seconds to 25 minutes. So we're regional. Not only that, by that point in 2010, we were now involved in national things and we were involved in global endeavors. And so we were like, you know what? This is getting pretty big. And then I said, a church of 10,000. <laughs> and I pretended someone was asking me, John, where did that come from? I mean, was this a number just out of the air that seemed like a big enough challenge? Did you go to Texas and go, oh my goodness, we need to become some American mega church? I said, no, 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 no. Here's the background. In 2004, I went to an event called Missions Fest. I didn't want to go to Missions Fest because I'm the child of missionaries and didn't like Missions Fest and didn't want to hang out with that crowd. During a devotional time, I was instructed by the Holy Spirit, you need to go. And not just go, I was told to go to listen to one person. And I said to the Holy Spirit, I don't want to go listen to that one person because that one person is actually like not just Pentecostal, he's ultra-Pentecostal on all sorts of things, and I don't agree with so much of what he said, and the Holy Spirit said, go. And I was like, shoot. So I did. So I went, and I sat and listened, and suddenly, while that guy was preaching, the Holy Spirit said, John, pray for 10,000 at C4. And I said to God, I, there is no way I'm pre I, No. I am a Canadian. This is not the U.S. This is not in parts of Asia or Africa. I will not do it. And God said, you must do it. I said, I will not do it. I wrestled with him. I finally got on my knees and said, if this is you speaking, Lord, 10,000 to C4. I don't get it. Months later, I was doing my devotions, reading through Genesis. It was a boring, normal day. And that day I was reading in Genesis 41, reading through the Bible, where Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. He's made prime minister. And as I was reading the passage, again, this very unique moment, the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to give you more. I said, more? I love what I'm doing. The youth group was exploding. Young adults was exploding. Preteens. And he said, no, no, no. Read verse 46. 
Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And I heard, John, you're going to be the senior pastor of this church by 30. And I was like, what? No, I'm not. And that's inappropriate. And that's wrong. And that's my pride speaking. And no, no, no. And Dave hasn't told me that he's leaving. That's Dave Collins. And well, after months of questioning and wrestling and feeling quite guilty, Dave suddenly told us that he was leading, leaving our church and God had told him to. And then he looked at me in a staff meeting and said, uh, you're supposed to take over. And then the elders met and they said, yeah, actually, you are supposed to take over. And, and only then, and at that moment, I met with the elders and the pastors and I told them about the Genesis 41 moment. And also during that period, I actually sat them down and I told them what I was praying over our church, the number. So every elders board from 2005 to 2010 and the pastoral staff had prayed and tested what I had heard. I submitted and there was agreement. It was from the Lord. Then I asked this question, okay, John, why didn't you tell us sooner? And I said, well, honestly, a mix of things. Fear, what would you think? What, how would I deal with it? Would we rally? Were we ready? Did God need to get us to a place to think bigger than we had been? There are a thousand reasons from taking time to discern to deep wondering. But then I said in 2007, I stand here today declaring that the board and the staff have fasted and prayed, and we believe this is our assignment. And then I said, you know, there's a lot of fear when it comes to 10,000 because few of us have experienced Christian community of that size. To be a church of 10,000 is sizable. And, and then I said, so do I think bigger is better? Are all churches called to be large churches? Are small churches less important to God or failing? I said, no, this has to do with vision and assignment. The following Sunday, I got up and said, um, you know, in, God, in, in God's sovereignty, if he made us 10,000 people tomorrow, a real awakening took place and 10,000 people were with us. I said to the church, you realize that we would have reached 0.016% of the GTA, not even a half a percent of the GTA would have been reached. I said, it's huge, but it's not, right? Well, after that moment, we launched plan one that helped us move forward. They were uh, to our God-given vision. This was direct, followable steps. This is when multi-site was introduced. This is when Alpha was introduced formally in a bigger way. This is when releasing prayer was introduced more formally. We moved from one service and one site to many services at one site to many services at more sites. And then we started defining what does a fully devoted follower look like? And then we started introducing things like guaranteed places of encounter. And, and then we started talking about spiritual gifts public for the first time in spiritual disciplines and how they're key to renewal. And then we experienced a three-year documented renewal that was life-changing for hundreds of us, thousands of us. So let me summarize it like this. In 2005, the next chapter started. 2010, mission and vision are clarified. Then plan one is introduced. Then common language around fully devoted followers. Then gifts, then disciplines. And then, and then, and then, and then we came to 2015. Our mission's clear, our vision is clear, our plans are actually being followed, we're moving forward. And then I said, you know, um, there's one other missing piece to the puzzle we need to talk about. We, we need to talk about what our flavor, our picture, what our cultural vision is going to look like. It's an uh, interesting story. I, um, this summer we had friends of ours come over for dinner. They, uh, they live in England. Let me tell you their story. They both were teenagers in the youth group when I was the youth pastor here. And uh, maybe some of you have heard the story. So I was preaching in the Ajax Auditorium as the youth pastor on a Sunday night. And I remember this guy raising his hands 
And I remember watching them going, oh, um, someone from a charismatic or Pentecostal church is visiting. Because back then, me and like three other people rose our hands and most other people didn't. So I was like, oh, we got a, we got a Pentecostal hangout. You know, he's just, he's, I'm like, great. So I walked over to Esther, who had brought him, and I said, Esther, who's your Pentecostal friend? And she laughed. She's like, what do you mean Pentecostal friend? He's a Marxist atheist who just radically encountered Jesus while you were preaching. I said, excuse me? She's like, yeah, he's like basically a hardcore, he had Anglican history, I met with him, I talked with him, and he just, all these connections, this God did this incredible thing. A few weeks later, uh, he's hanging out at youth group again, he walks up and says, hey, John, um, what's the word missionary? It's ringing in my head and I don't understand it, and I explained what it was, and and then we actually, over that year, prayed that, Lord, you'd use him as a missionary, whatever that would would mean. Well, uh, fast forward, those two people married. (laughs) And uh, they started quite an academic career. One of them got a PhD, one of the top uh, universities in the United States, I think, in biochemistry. He ends up doing his PhD in one of the top uh, um, universities in England in medieval philosophy, if you can imagine. And now he's a professor at Cambridge University in philosophy, and she oversees a massive, she's a key editor in her journal. Here, here's the point. Uh, they're now back at our church hanging out all these years later. We have them over for dinner. And he says, you know, it's so incredible. I'm the only Christian in the whole philosophy department where I work. And she smiled and said, yeah, we're missionaries at Cambridge. And then she said these words. She said, you know, John, it's so interesting. She said, we were reflecting on our own story, but then we have so many friends uh, that were from Steeple Hill and Crothers Creek and C4 and sanctus that have become pastors themselves or, or, or aren't pastors but are just all around the world. And she said, like, how do I describe this church? She said, it feels like a mother church to me, like, like a church that just sends out so many people as it grows itself. She said, it's, this is literally like three weeks ago. She says, it's just like you guys are like, what church was that in the book of Acts? Oh, Antioch. And I laughed. And she said, why are you laughing? I said, because you don't know this, but in 2015... We've been saying that we need to be like Antioch. That's our cultural goal and ongoing desire to be. Let me read, by the way, Acts 12, 26. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And Acts 13, 1, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon of Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And, And every time I've preached this, I say, stop and see the revolutionary power of the gospel. You got Jews and Greeks and Romans meeting to church in a church together for a year. And the list is wild. Saul, who used to kill Christians, hanging out with Barnabas, who's one of the early Christian leaders. And then Simon of Niger, who that's a Latin title because he had darker skin. So he was uh, probably in the middle or from the south of Africa somewhere in his origin. Lucius is a common Roman name, but Cyrene is North African. It's modern day Libya. And then Manian is the foster brother of Herod, who the wise men talked to, who ends up getting drunk and beheading John the Baptist. And now he's a church leader and he's following. In Christ. And so I said, what's incredible, you've got Jews and non-Jews and Africans and North Africans and Romans and Greeks, and the list goes on. And God, through the work of Jesus, through his spirit, brings people together that cannot stand each other, that are former enemies, that would never hang out religiously, ethically, economically, or socially. And now they're all worshiping Jesus and leading a church together. And I said, of course, this is what we need to be. Not just because we live in the most multicultural city on earth, which is amazing, but this is what heaven's going to be like. So we fight for this now. We don't just wait for it in the future. 
And then it says in Acts 13 too, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Spirit of God spoke, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now that word worshiping, I shared this again with our staff a few weeks ago, has real punch. The word worship here in the Greek version of the Old Testament is used almost exclusively for priests in the Jewish temple. And what's so shocking about this is this is now saying that Jewish and non-Jewish Christians, when they get together in church to fast, to pray, to be taught, and use spiritual gifts, it equals work in the new temple. And in the middle of this amazing moment, the Spirit of God, through the spiritual gift of prophecy, speaks, and He tells that community the will of Jesus who runs and owns the Church of Antioch. And this is what happens during basically a renewal. He said, I want to remove your two most eminent and gifted leaders, your two best thinkers, your two best preachers, your two most anointed. Actually, I was saying this the other day to someone, Paul, who is like the best version of a leader, and Barnabas, who's the best version of a shepherd and encourager. So I'm basically going to remove both sides of the best styles of leadership at once. When does the prompting happen? During that time of praying and fasting. So I I just want to say this again. This is so core to what we believe in this church. Spiritual gifts are the only ongoing guaranteed place of power to serve from all the time. And spiritual practices become the ongoing place where we are transformed, we are changed, we, they clear the ground, they provide the space so we get to hear and get permission and keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus was led exclusively by the Spirit and use spiritual gifts to minister, and spiritual disciplines to listen. So local churches should have the same posture as Jesus himself. And by the way, if if you're new to us as a church, uh, uh, if you're new in this church, but you come from another church, what I just said is probably very different than what you're used to hearing. And so I just want to pause and say, to really understand what you're joining You need to think through this one well. You can go listen to the spiritual disciplines or guest sermons we did or the book Convergence that tells our story, which is available. You can just ask any staff member. That will tell you where we theologically land here and why. This is what makes us not better, but a different. we're a different breed compared to many other churches regionally. So Antioch, I said in 2015, that's our archetype, our flavor, our cultural vision, a place of strong biblical teaching a place of influence for the kingdom in its own region and beyond. Spiritual disciplines, mutual submission, strong leadership, growing in cultural diversity, all the spiritual gifts at the center of serving, sensitivity to the Spirit's leading, prompting, planning, the staying and going of leaders as the Spirit of God moves. This is the type of church God is calling us to be. This is our God-given flavor, rooted in God the Father's calling, rooted in the work of Jesus, rooted in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, that was in 2015, and lots has happened in eight years. Plan one ended. Plan two was thought, prayed through, and built. We launched it, and then eight months into plan two, the pandemic started. (laughs) And we walked through a pandemic together, barely. (laughs) We've moved from one site in 2005 and one service now to five sites and eight services. Thousands upon thousands of people have joined this church since 2005. Many of us have stayed. Many of us have moved out of the province to other countries or regions. Others have joined other churches. Others have actually started other churches. Some have been called into ministry. Some have passed away. But so much work has been done. A renewal that lasted three years, a name change, 
our multicultural experience, which was a long for desire, is now exploding. Last May and April, uh, the elders and staff sat and asked a question as we were preparing to move from a transitional moment of COVID and building now to momentum. We just said, hold on, hold on, before we prepare for this next chapter, is there anything in our coreness, our mission, our vision, that we need to adjust? Has anything moved from aspirational now to DNA? And so we announced in May that there were two significant adjustments in our mission and vision statement. Our, vision, our mission statement story reads like this now, to glorify God by reaching, enabling people of all ages and nations to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We wanted to continue to realize that at different ages and stages, different evangelism and different discipleship is needed, but we also wanted to honor, fight for, pray into, and celebrate God's diversity. And then we unveiled the next iteration of the mission, a vision statement. We changed the word regional and made it missional. It reads like this now, a missional church of 10,000, meeting the uh, uh, spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of people in Jesus' name. We change regional to missional. Again, let me just do this quickly. When I first talked about regionality, it meant behind the Ajax location. Then it meant Durham region. And just before the pandemic, we revealed plan two. And in that plan, remember, we talked about multiple new sites, Oakville, Markham, Stouffville, downtown Toronto, North York, Lindsay or Peterborough, or in Port, in Port Hope. All of that came to a standstill as we lived through that terrible global moment. And our goal, God willing, is still in time to launch many new sites across the GTA. But what's interesting is during the pandemic, our global, re our global reach, which we knew was happening, got formalized. Our influence, because of our online presence, exploded way beyond the GTA, all over the world, through sermons and on our online site and books and worship writing and gatherings, everything changed. And so the word missional is global. Our, the word missional is local. It gives room for virtual and physical and mixed expressions of church. It also reminds us we need to keep pushing out and not be satisfied with where we are now. It's also interesting, let me just note this too, that as we've gone through all sorts of iterations, it would seem to me at least, and I think actually to our leadership, that though we're a very large church, a church of thousands, as we keep spreading out, many of our expressions feel like smaller churches. So it's this really interesting new thing that's happening that we're a very large church, a church of thousands, and yet we have larger and smaller expressions happening in one ecosystem which I think is probably God's design as we reach out to a new generation. And so, uh, let me put it like this. Uh, we're in our new house, and we've been building the new house and reestablishing a few things, but actually building a lot of new things, and now it's time to step out again. And so, uh, we shouldn't be shocked by the theme that was given to us uh, last November, uh, we spent time praying about this year. And we always say, Lord, is there something not uh, just for the whole church long term? Is there something you want to speak this year? And it was so interesting. Back in November, as we were praying about this coming year, it was very clear that the phrase that was given to our church is origins or beginnings. And I was like, oh, of course, because this is a new beginning. But as we have a new beginning, we also need to remember our origin. 
And then clear as day, as we were praying through, what should we preach? The critical book that was given to us, we would say, by the Spirit, for our community, was the book of Acts. And I'm like, well, of course it's the book of Acts. Of course we're going to go through the book of Acts. Of course it's not Nehemiah about rebuilding or Ezekiel. No, 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 or Ezra. No, no. Beginnings, momentum, empowerment of the Holy Spirit, miracles, gifts, multiculturalism, evangelism, leadership transitions, church tension, discipleship. Of course, the Holy Spirit's asking us to go through the book of Acts. I said this to our staff a few weeks ago and our elders. I want to say it to you. Uh, That should build real expectation. You know that I'm cautious about expectation. I never like under-promising, but I never love over-promising either. But this should build expectation because if, if the Spirit of God has prompted us to go through the book of Acts, then, then the expectation should grow among us because that means he is actually about to begin a new thing. And the book of Acts is all about empowerment. And the book of Acts is all about evangelism. And the book of Acts is all about new life, even while there are battles. And so there should be a real expectation that God is about to move actually quite profoundly. And so what I'm going to do to end this sort of vision moment uh, is, would you stand? Again, if you are at any location, maybe by yourself, or maybe you're in a gathering in a house, but would you do it? And let's just pray this together. Lord, thanks for our history. Thanks that you've been with us for every single iteration and chapter and moment. Uh, Thanks for the old house. Thanks for persevering during the global moment. Thanks for this new house. And now, uh, Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit. May we as a church not just read the book of Acts and intellectually learn the truth in the book of Acts. May we at Sanctus Church experience the book of Acts. In Bowmanville, for Perry, Pickering, Ajax, online, and beyond. Father and Son, we as a church say, send the Holy Spirit and move us out again, we ask. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at sanctuschurch.com. There, you'll find ways to support our ministry and God's vision for this church. Last but not least, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to hit that follow button to be notified when another episode releases. We hope you enjoyed what you heard. God bless you.